Hello. I hope you had a good day. In case you did or didn't, let's talk a little bit about applications for motivation in kids. Intrinsic compared to extrinsic. And how it's a slippery slope <laughs> at times. Okay, so first a graphic that you have there, um, I, I hope you smile, shows just a realization that as much as we hope that we are always are motivating our kids to do the right thing from within their own heart and soul and character, it is still remains a slippery slope um, more than once per day. <laughs> I find myself realizing, yikes, I just slipped into bribery or threats, you know? I, I was on the right track trying to make him feel good about himself and great about his accomplishments and try again and never give up and then boom, next thing you know, I'm, we're, we're in the, down in the gutter. <laughs> so, um, all right. So you see that little picture there of John getting into the car. All right. So there was a time when um, he missed the bus and it was very cold outside. So 38 degrees Fahrenheit um, for Texas. Uh, that was uh, pretty cold. He's mad. And um, my my stance with him at the time, we were backward chaining to get him out of the house on time, is that he, if he misses the bus without, and uh, mom's not going to nag, then he just gets to be home with mom all day doing mom's list. And uh, he wasn't so keen about that that particular morning. So I turned my back for a second and he was gone. Well, I figured, you know, we live at the end of a cul-de-sac, so there's really only one way to go. So eventually I got my coat and I didn't really delay long and uh, got my coat, got in the car, started driving. And I thought, wow, this kid's making good time. <laughs> um, so I finally got out on the, the fast street and was driving along and I saw him. I pulled over. And usually I hold that boundary is that if I say it and you miss it, maybe I'll give you one chance, but two chances on such an important thing as not screwing around in the morning and getting up and getting ready and getting out the door without lollygagging and mom's not supposed to nag and remind and prompt and bug because that does not set him up to ever learn independence. Okay, so it was at least the second time when he missed the bus and I was going to be totally hands off. Except he left the house. And except it was 38 degrees Fahrenheit outside, which, you know, that's close to water freezing. And if I just left him wandering around out in the neighborhood, you know, I don't know what about CPS, but it could have been ramifications to me. So I, I spot him in the car, I pull over, and I just don't say anything. He sees me with his backpack. He's kind of behind some trees on the sidewalk. He hasn't really gotten to a traffic light yet, but he's definitely out on a traffic street. I just sat there and he came over to the car. He didn't say anything either. I just opened the door and he got in. Um, <laughs> I just, then I drove him to school. Um, he got in and he said something funny. What was it? Oh, I'll think of it a little bit later on, but it was a joke. We have some standing jokes between us. Um, oh, the first kid thing. Okay, yeah. All right, so whenever he goes somewhere, it's like, John, are you going to choose to be first kid or last kid? And now he has a hierarchy of 
second kid or third kid, um, he have his, he has a preference of wherever he goes. In what order does he want to be the kid that shows up? You know, does he want to be the first kid waiting at the bus stop? Does he want to be the last kid into school at, at, at dismissal or at uh, before school starts with band? How does that work? So that self-awareness and that caring about where he is in the hierarchy of other kids, it's like, good, awesome, great. So he got in the car and he looked at me and he finally kind of half-heartedly smiled and he says, I guess I'm going to be last kid. <laughs> and it was so funny. And he disarmed me, you know, and I wasn't going to be mad anyway, because you never win when you're mad with your kid. It was, it was just hysterical. So I, he would have won me over with, with trying again with that humor, right? Even if, if, even if it wasn't 38 degrees. Um, so we're always trying to use redirects and humor and a sense of humor and a sparkle in the eye. And what would other kids do? They'd make a joke or they'd interact or or something. It just can't be robotic. It just cannot be ABA automatron. Um, we did have some of that in the early years, but uh, I, I was we he was done with it by four and a half. No, three and a half. Really young. And I was done with it then too. Okay, so let's move on to the second picture because here's some other photographs of his earlier years. So John right now is 13 as we speak. Um, and, oh my goodness, I was talking to parents today who have kids that are less than two. <gasps> and it just took me way back to those early years, you know, even before you got your diagnosis. And then by age two, you have a diagnosis. And then you've got ECI and social workers in the house. And you feel so bad about yourself and your kid's not talking. And you're at the, you know, the doctors are saying one thing and you know in your heart that there must be something else. Because a different doctor says, hey, you got ASD coming at you. Oh my goodness, I remember that. Okay, so anyway, here's, some, here's five photographs. You see the one where he's got the red shirt and the mud? And then um, the, uh, the other one is, well, still in the red shirt. Different day, different pants. <laughs> we must have liked that red shirt. And over the playground with the blue slide. Okay, that's the picture we're looking at. So let's start with the one in the mud. The reason that's here to show you is as far as any kid playing and being intrinsically motivated to do anything because he wants to and not because mom says he has to, you're looking at a good picture of therapy from a sensual, tac uh, not sensual, <laughs> sensory, uh, tactile touching, uh, acceptance, uh, sensory seeking, sensory averse, you know, back and forth kind of kid. And here he is squatting in the mud, right? And so it's going to smell and look and feel and have a temperature different. He's got a stick he's playing with and you can see mud on the fingers. So that's a win right there. Just getting that kid out in the mud um, is wonderful. And I did not fuss one bit. I just stood back and silently celebrated inside. Uh, th that brings up another point to share. Many, uh, uh, there's a couple of books I've read that say, since the young brain is trial and error, try something new, if that works or doesn't work, try another variation. And then we adults butt into that internal process with our words or our praise or our exclamations or whatever we're going to say. Then it interrupts their concentration on what they're trying to do with their body in their own little world. And then they like 
fall down. They don't, they're not, you know, they're like a baby's trying to pull themselves up right on the couch. And then we come in and we squawk, oh, that's so wonderful. Look, you stood up. And then they turn to look at us and then they let go of their grip and they lose their balance and they fall down. And then like, where was I? What was I doing? And then they have to go back and start that reiteration over again. So all I really did by celebrating too loudly on the outside was stall my kid out for a while. So I've learned to just celebrate, dance on the inside, and uh, uh, just keep it zipped, Mom. All right. So let's talk about the one in the center there. That's uh, up in the air, uh, kind of one of those gym things. We went to every one of those we could find. And for him, since he started off being sensory averse, that whole balance, that vestibular, um, uh, more, more balance than proprioceptive, but proprioceptive some too, because where is his body in space? Um, oh, he was wobbly back then. And then as time would go on, he would model after the other kids. He would see, hey, those kids are up there walking around. I wonder what that's like. I wonder if I could try that. More than once, we've stood on the edge, and I'd just stand there with him. Now, on a few bad times, I tried to push him over. That never went well. But if I stand there with him, and then he decides that he's going to step into whatever adventure he's picking. I, I can think of the first time he did paintball. You got to wear all that big old clunky equipment, right? And it was hot and stinky, and, and well, I don't know if it was stinky. It looked hot to me, but I'm a mom standing from the edges. He stood there watching those kids doing paintball for the longest time. Then he finally decided he was going to put that gear on, went in, got plopped once, shot once, came out, took all that stuff off, and he hasn't asked to do it since, but he got it. And it was a kid laser tag kind of a birthday party at those places that you go for all those kind of high sensory activities. John's not really one to do a lot of shooting, and he's just gotten into Minecraft, so um, he, he tends toward bowling videos instead of one of those shooter killer kind of games. You know, we just don't get into that much. He likes music, which is way better than, um, uh, I can't even think of those, Grand Theft Auto? <laughs> um, what's that? Fortnite. I wouldn't know Fortnite if it bit me, but, um, but he'll go for the music videos from church. So uh, I guess I'm okay with that. And so back to the reason that he's in there, he's intrinsically motivated because he saw other kids, because he wanted to get up there. It wasn't because I bribed him or pushed him or promised him a Skittle or a cookie. He would care less about a Skittle anyway. He, would, he, he doesn't have any cavities yet at age 13 because that's one good thing about orally uh, averse. <laughs> Not much goes in that mouth, right? And we've, we've developed a lot more sense of taste as time has gone by. But uh, the whole lollipop, candy, Chewing gum thing is just way too scary. Okay, so intrinsically motivated to crawl up there, and he's way above ground level, but that's awesome. And it's, I'm up there taking a picture, but it's not because I asked him to or I cajoled him into it. I'm taking pictures of everything, and he busts me for it. He says, no more videos, Mom. Get out of my face. Okay, so let's move on to the next one where he's hanging from the uh, the jungle gym thing, though you know the, the, this, uh, that blue piece of playground equipment. You see our buddy Zeb. God love the Cutler family, and uh, Zeb. They they started buddying up in kindergarten, and now through the end of sixth grade, we just played together. We made a little neurotypical play group, and Friday afternoons I'd drive over to the school, fill up my car with. John and his peers, and we'd go on adventures. Um, I treated the kids awesome, 
and they treated my kid awesome and we just loved our time. Now, into junior high school, it's a little bit, little bit difficult now because more activities and uh, it's, you know, kids do evolve. But uh, when we do all get together, it's kind of a lang syne. They remember, the kids remember that. So anyway, having a neurotypical friend out there to help with uh, the motor planning modeling, uh, to cheer him on, to show him how to do it, was huge. And John did that not because of anything that I could have said or done or modeled. Nothing about mom. Go away, mom. It's because he, he identifies with the neurotypical kids. He wanted to try the adventure. He wanted that. And I'm willing to take the risks if he's going to drop down or not keep his balance or get it. Whatever's going to happen to him physically, it'll be worth it. Okay, now the basketball one. <laughs> That's motor planning there, baby. And uh, we're at one of those Chuck E. Cheese kind of places. He liked the basketball. He'd cheat. He'd get up there in that bin and he'd stuff the ball. And then it was worth every quarter I could find, right? Because look at that motor planning. That's, that's OT right there. That's occupational therapy is to figure out. I got three balls, maybe four, two hands. I don't even know what these stub things are called fingers because I'm not using them. I'm sure not using my fingertips, but I got my mouth on it. <laughs> so motor planning for that. And then also the balance. Um, but he's doing that because he wants to, not because I said, hey, John, get up there in that basketball thing and let mom take a picture. That'll make a great picture for a workshop. Nah, he's there because he really wants to. In fact, I had to kind of sneak up on him and take pictures when he's not looking at me because he always does best that way. And okay, now look at the water with the pier, right? So we have lots of parks where we live and he has a tendency, like in this case, he's chasing the ducks. I don't know what he thinks he's going to do with them when he catches them, but um, uh, those piers are out there free floating. They are attached to the, there's a walkway back to the shore. But he is a long way from me. And of course, we've done backward chaining to get to this place. And I'm not so sure he really would know how to survive a float. And that's way deeper than the swimming pool would be. But um, we, we had backward chained. We had practiced. And he's off and he wants that independence. So he's out there chasing him around. He never fell off the edge. He never went off. You know, he, he really understood the, the, the edges. And uh, so he had, again, being sensory uh, um, averse more than sensory seeking, he never really like tried to jump in. So this, I guess you think about your own child. The point with this is that he wanted to go out there and play and I let him. And I didn't worry about, I tried not to worry about the fact that there's no way I could have gotten out there fast enough if he had gone in the water. Um, I don't know. I don't know. It's dark water, right? So there's always fear of your parenting, right? Fear of what unintended consequences might be. But may I please encourage you that if you backward chain with your kid so that they have an understanding of, of reasonable um, what's right and what's wrong, what's dangerous and not dangerous. Oh, he was so happy that day. You can't see his face, but so happy that he was out there feeling free and feeling like a regular kid. They, they're so much more self-aware than we think our kids are. So just consider that. Okay, let's um, go on to the, the, the second, uh, the next one that says incentive. So here we're talking again, just some other examples from his earlier years. I could put some preteen on here, but um, since uh, we're talking uh, in the beginning years, uh, so let's just start here. That first one where he's wearing the green shirt, that's Goodnight Moon, right? 
and he's with his para there. That's a kindergarten. You all heard of Storybook Parade? It's what the public school system does to get around Halloween. They let the kids dress up as their favorite character in a book, and they prance them all through the school, and uh, they wear their costume, carry their book, and then everybody goes home and shoves candy in their mouth. <laughs> Except John doesn't. But So in kindergarten, he, he was pretty spooked, and his pair is right there. So we, I made a Goodnight Moon shirt uh, with uh, liquid, you know, fabric paint. And he did okay, but he's, you can tell there by his mouth, he's paying attention to everything and, and pretty overwhelmed by it. And that's his uh, self-contained specialized instruction class with his paraprofessional walking along in kindergarten. Now, the picture directly below that, you see Buzz Lightyear. You might not be able to see that grin, but there is absolutely a grin on his face. Absolutely a grin on his face. Forgive me for talking too fast. And it's difficult to see because of the lighting, but I can tell that even though he has a grin on his face, he has his fingers all twisted up. And this is forever the litmus test of John inner, inner, John's inner turmoil, is he'll twist his fingers. Now, naturally, he's got long, slender fingers that don't know that they've got that last little bend on him. So I don't think he really knows he's got fingertips. And... He, there was definitely a time in his life where I feared that the bones would be curved forever because he was always twisting them into a pretzel. And that's how I knew that on the inside, he was just on fire. But fourth grade, storybook parade, so that's five years difference. He's walking all by himself, big grin, happy to be Buzz, making it through the school, fully aware of what's going on, and um, because he wants to. All right? So... That's great. That top picture, I'm not so sure he wants to, <laughs> but oh, Buzz wants to. And that's what I hope for your child. Give them the opportunity to fail and then see what they do. They'll always surprise you. Okay, now the moving on to the picture in the center there where he's running out of the house. Um, again, we must have a lot of red shirts in his closet. <laughs> um, so this goes back to some blog posts I wrote about trying to get out of the house on time. If your child is time aware challenged um, and which can go with something as little as ADHD and certainly can go with someone who's just kind of la la, lollygagging all the time, um, which is John, unless he learns how to hustle. I've written a number of posts about ways that I've tried to get him to be time aware, um, hustle aware, um, move it faster, some of the sports, you know. Um, at, at the same time, though, if I just nag, 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 he hates it, I hate it, and then we just get mad at each other. So we made this game. First one to click their seatbelt wins. And on days when I would drive him to school, and there's reasons for this, we, would, uh, we were too far to bus. Now he rides the big kid bus. But back before, when we were in elementary, we would uh, be car, not car riders, we would be walkers, but we would ride, we'd drive from the house over to the closest parking lot to the school, then get out, get his scooter, get his bike out of the car, and then he would go on into school on the scooter, navigating the, the sidewalks, navigating the flow of kids going in and coming out at the end of the day. Gave him a lot of peer exposure, uh, a lot of uh, sensory experience, um, motor planning. I may get a chance to, for the kids to see him and him to see the kids. I got a chance to visit with the parents. So I did not ever shove him on the special ed bus. 
We eventually negotiated through the yard to ride the Gen Ed bus, and we took all the risks when they said, oh, I don't know, bullying. And I said, oh, don't worry, we'll take the risks. But during um, the five years K through five, he was, um, I'm, I'm sorry, K through four, then uh, he was as much, he was a walker for all practical purposes. But we had to get him out of the house, into the car. So back to the game. Whoever clicks the seatbelt first wins. So as time went by, I backward chained him so that finally I just walked out of the house. His clothes, everything was laying there. He could be uh, still stalling around in his pajamas. And I would just say, bye, I'll be out in the car. And I'd leave. And I'd go get in the car and I would sometimes even inch out backwards down the driveway. <laughs> You know, but I knew if I went back in, the few times I went back in to check, all I did was just cause trouble. So I'm trying to lead him to being independent so I got not to regress myself. So as time went by, he uh, got, he needed less and less prompting from me. So um, uh, this, the idea was that I needed him in the car. I needed him to click a seatbelt so I could start driving. So it wasn't enough that he would just be in the car. He had to click the belt, otherwise I couldn't start the car, right, to drive. So um, we would play the game, and we're, you can't tell that he's grinning, but I'm grinning and he's grinning. And then we also would keep backward chaining so that he also then was responsible for locking the door and then giving me the key. So every step of that became ever more independent. And at this stage here, I would be waiting in the car. He would open the door. He'd slide in beside me. And we were he was no longer in the back seat. We're talking about up front, helping me co-pilot. The seat is ooched back as far as possible. So if the airbag goes off, we're going to be okay. But there was a whole mindset between being little kid in the back in the car seat and being big kid in front, helping mom with the navigation system and being in charge of turning left and right and helping me read the stop signs and the street signs. So I let, it, I let him grow up that way. So he opens the car door, he slides in next to me. I'm starting to move slowly my seatbelt to the clicky thing, right? He sees me, he's now trying to grab his seatbelt and get it in. So we're both heading our seatbelt into the click and I just let him win sometimes by a nano breadth of a second. And we're laughing, we're making fun of whatever's going on. The Once I realized that he had a competitive edge and he liked to compete, I would use that shamelessly too. I would think of every possible way where I would say, I'm gonna win, taking his vitamins in the car, or getting, his, getting out of the car, getting wherever we had to go, I would make it a friendly competition. I would often let him win, but not always. And it was always by this hair of his chinny chin chin. But I would laugh and I would make it a game. Gamify everything, right? Uh, the, uh, the adrenaline of that, intrinsic motivation of that, wanting to do it, of wanting to win, that happy, competitive, this is great, in the flow, joy and peace. That's what we're looking for. Okay, now let's talk about the blow dryer. For many years, he was scared to death of that loud blow dryer. And then ironically, one day, he, he wasn't. We were stretching his neural pathways, right? So he became comfortable with it. So let's back up and I'll tell you what I lost and how I had to try to not lose. Uh, he, it's bedtime process and uh, he's not moving fast enough for mom getting ready for bed. So me and old mom, I just open up the 
uh, bathroom shelf, uh, the closet, I take out my blow dryer, I lay it on the floor <laughs> right next to him. And poor little kid freaks out and like, oh yeah, he jumps up. What, what do you want me to do, mom? You know, got him moving, baby. Because he didn't, did not even want to be near that unplugged in blow dryer. Well, as so I, was, I thought that was great. You know, I'm getting his attention now. That's not intrinsic, is it? That's extrinsic. And I just, I knew I lost, but I just like, come on, dude, it's too late. Get to bed. Uh, and then as time went by, he outsmarted me. So he picked up the blow dryer and he's played with it. And then he, we figured out, I don't know how he got it plugged in, but it's plugged in and now he's playing with the blow dryer. And I'm thinking, oh man, I just lost an intervention. And I thought, wait, 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 wait. Maybe not. I said, hey, John, do you want to earn the blow dryer? Okay, let's get our stuff done and then you can play with the blow dryer. So, you know, if you do the ABA, you know, first this, then that kind of thing. Um, another one I would use is, hey, John, you want to play with mom's phone? You do? Awesome. Okay, let's get back to that list and let's see what you got to get done. Get your work done and then you can play with it. So it's, yeah, it's kind of a bait and switch, but he, we now make the joke. He goes, oh, man. So anyway, again, anything you can do, humor, I think, takes it extrinsic to intrinsic. It just because the kid's happy and wants to feel those good chemicals. All right, so piano, music, um, in this case, performing for the family before in anticipation of the um, recital. So music has been a massive intrinsic motivator for John. We did piano lessons um, with a company until they fired us, which was not a happy experience. I posted a couple of, of um, stories about that. Nothing like getting fired by your music teacher. Um, but uh, then we switched to percussion and he started playing in the um, intermediate school, public school band. And we had a fantastic uh, music director and teacher support and the art. Um, we wrote that in there about some of the fine arts and music has just been huge to him. And he sang in the choir. And so music in intermediate fifth and sixth grade uh, was masterful for John. We'll be talking about that more in the future. I could not say enough good things about the experiences that we have helped create for him. And he's created for himself within the public school system, particularly in uh, fifth, sixth, and now in seventh. When he was K through four, they kept him on a really short leash. Um, we made the most of it because we had our Fridays with our neurotypical friends and we had after school, which you can see that last picture on the page is him in kindergarten with one of those really stable scooters, right? And eventually we went razor and eventually he could start going faster like his peers. But that thing there is for those vestibular uh, proprioceptive challenged kids, you know, or grandma. <laughs> Um, you got to really push hard because that friction on those old, those th really stable three-wheelers, there's nothing speedy about that. But that's kindergarten, and we navigated up and down the sidewalks, and he was so proud of himself. Now, many of the neurotypical kids were whizzing along on their little razors and their, you know, two-wheel scooters and going much faster. But maybe that just helped it, make him determined to keep trying. And I did not carry his backpack for him. I did not rescue him. He took that scooter all the way in, into school, parked it, and then had to be responsible for unparking it and bringing it up the hill at the end of the school day at dismissal time. And he navigated it all the way up the sidewalk, across the street, crossing guard, and then to wherever the car was parked. Uh, and then we would drive home.
So uh, it was his job, but he wanted to. And again, another example of, yeah, it was a stretch, but he wanted to, he was willing to, and I could just slow down myself enough. And yeah, we didn't match the peers. We were an outlier and, and everybody knows us. But you know, if we don't try, how would we ever have made the progress that we have? And part of our jobs with our kids, if you, if you have a spiritual mindset and you believe that nobody is God's mistake, and it's not like God goes, oh man, I had a plan for every kid's life except for John. I'm so sorry, Gail. I forgot all about John. So since I don't believe that, then we're meant to teach. We are meant to show. We are meant to help make the world a kinder place. And so, you know, that's kind of part of of your kids showing that they're trying. And we have to let them. We have to give them the opportunity to. And that's why I just can't say enough about intrinsic motivation. And if you're the if he's the slowest one there, and which actually he was okay with. I'm the extrovert. John's the introvert. So he doesn't need to be in the fray, the thick of it. He doesn't need to have, you know, the party revolving around him. Um, he was happy to be on the edges. And then whenever he stepped into the party, then he was okay with that. Now, I've had a, a young man on in the spectrum. It's a high school senior. And he told me that when he would choose to be separate, spectator instead of in it, that actually it also was because it was more peaceful. Not just fear, but it was a, I want to be on the edge. And so if, if that's the case, then I always took heart from that point on because if John didn't step into the adventure yet, it's because he wasn't ready to step into it. And he was at peace being on the edge. And so he was intrinsically motivated to stay on the edge. And then once he decided he was going to step in, then he would be intrinsically motivated to want that change. And like I said, I remember I took him to the zoo once and I was trying to force him to go to the bathroom because I thought, oh, mom thought John had to go pee. And oh, dear God, that was the worst. Um, that was the worst mess. <laughs> I was so shamed with that. And then, of course, you reach the point where you're going to make it happen, right? You're going to make it. Uh, you're going to make your kid do something and, oh, it just went down the toilet. <laughs> Bad pun. Uh, down the toilet so fast. So I, I learned, I was humbled at that point on that, you know, if he has to, if he needs to go pee, I'm sure he'll do it. And I need to just stop. I need to stop a lot of things. I need to do less. And I'll let him do more. So... Anyway, there's some examples. Uh, there's always more to talk about. Um, consider as you watch what your kid does, no matter their age. Try to understand, and if they have words, ask them why they want to do it. Or just come up with your own answer and just zip it and watch your kid do what they want to do. It's great they get bored. It's, it's great that they come up with something that's all theirs, even if it's not yours. It's way more important that he creates his own uh, habits, behaviors. Those neural pathways need to be his, that he'll have his, um, he'll be able to take care of his life and do what he needs to do and manage his executive functioning when I'm gone right? And if we don't give our kids chances and opportunities and practices to build these kinds of independence and risk-taking muscle, how are they ever going to do it later? 
you know, it's okay to let them fail. It's okay. I mean, like I said, short of broken bones, short of bleeding to death, um, let them take the chances. So then make a game out of it. And then don't say, oh, I'm so proud of you. Say, wow, you must be so proud of yourself that you tried so hard and you, you did it. Reward them for that. Just say that, that simple thing. And here's something even more powerful. If they overhear you bragging about them, but they overhear you telling someone else, that's even stronger, research says. So let's say you are bragging about something that they did on their own, intrinsically motivated, where they managed it all with their own executive functioning, and you're telling someone else within their earshot how amazing that achievement was for them to have achieved it. The most powerful delivered message. All right. Peace to you all until we talk again.